Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash Serlin. Hi, everybody. This is Serlin on Game Design, Episode 10, Flash Duel. And with me today is Mr. G Phantom and Aphotix. Hey, hey. Hey, how's it going? What's up? How's it going? Hey, so I wanted to talk about Flash Duel, which is on Kickstarter right now, along with Pandante. Pandante is actually the main game of the campaign, but you can also get a new version of Flash Duel. Awesome. I love Flash Duel. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys helped out a ton with Pandante, but not so much with Flash Duel. So you can kind of be the play the role of the audience here, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, exciting. uh, Yeah, I'll tell you about what's going on with it, and it'll be news to you. So Flash Duel has been out of print for several months, and I wanted to just reprint it. And while I was doing that, I was like, you know, there's a couple balance changes we really should make that the community has kind of gotten behind already. And while I'm in there, why not do a few more balance changes? And then as I'm doing it, I'm like, you know, there should probably be wording changes because there's like things in the FAC here and there that would be smoother if the wording were just a little bit better, especially like interactions between cards. Like maybe you read a card and you know what it does, but having that card work correctly with another card, like we could really fix that up here and there. So now there starts to be like a whole bunch of changes and really getting into it <laughs> for better, for better, for worse. You know how these things oh, yeah. like kind of unravel or keep going mm-hmm. or something. So another thing is the gender neutral language, like saying a player draws their card instead of his mm-hmm. card, that sort of thing. I think people really appreciate that these days. So another thing I wanted to address with the game is making it feel more similar when you first play it to when you're an expert at it. Okay, and I don't know if you guys remember the tournament finals we've had in this game, but it's like, it's crazy, and it doesn't look like what you'd think it would look like. I think you were there, Aphotix, and saw it? Yes, yes, I one, was One there. year? Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like, oh, it's a simple, like, fast game, which which it is. It's about bluffing. It's about, like, oh, I'm going to move three away from you, and do I have a three in my hand to block your three attack? But it's kind of not like that at the highest level. Do you want to recount what it was like? Uh, it was more <laughs> like, you know, taking notes and graphing calculators and <laughs> lots and lots of math and calculating probabilities yeah. and then more math and then more probabilities and then redoing the math and then more math. I saw I saw a lot of matches that I, I, I don't remember seeing the finals, but I saw a lot of just regular matches and a few players had calculators with them. Like I would have <laughs> never imagined that. Yeah, once it got to the end, I think there were turns that took as long as the entire game should take. <laughs> right. I think there were turns or like there were rounds that took as long as some of my entire best of three matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so it doesn't look anything like that when you're new or even intermediate at the mm-hmm. game. At those skill levels, it, it kind of does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But then at the higher level, it gets crazy. And I knew about this. I've known known about that for a long time. And so I proposed a variant, which I posted on BoardGameGeek a long time ago, like a year ago or something, that addressed that. And the reason that it turns into that is that as you get towards the end of of each round, there's more and more things known. Like there's fewer cards left in the deck. So you get closer and closer to a 100% known 
game state, mm-hmm. you know, of exactly what is in the opponent's hand. You get closer and closer to that. So you can set up the end of the round such that it'll just it'll turn out that you will win the battle of last hits. As soon as the round ends, you compare if you're like three away, for example, and you have a three, then you get to hit like right after the bell. And, and you'll win. And so it's all about, it became all about setting up that last hit at the end of the round. Mm-hmm. And it's very computationally intensive. So what really good players do is they realize like, I can map out this whole tree of possibilities. If I, you know, if I do this, then they have these choices and then go through every possible thing that could happen if they do choice one and if they do choice two and so on, just ex- like brute force this tree of possibilities, which you could say you could do in any game. That's true. But the difference here is that if you did it, you could find 100% guaranteed checkmates. So you need to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like if the reward is so big as, as a guaranteed when you need to do yep. it. So my first idea was uh, the thing I posted on Board Game Geek a year ago. It was to make there be more unknowns towards the end of the round. And instead of starting with 25 cards where you each draw five, it, there's a side deck of cards of 25 cards plus the main deck of 25 cards. So normally you just only have the main deck of 25, but the new idea was you draw your opening hands from the side deck. Okay. So I take five cards from the side deck. You take five cards from the side deck. And then we play the game with the normal 25 from the main deck. And that means I don't actually know like which numbers you drew from that starting deck. And as we get down to the end of our main deck, I still don't really know, like for those, for people who aren't familiar with this game, the cards are only simple numbers, like one, two, three, four, five. And I know how many fives there are normally, but I actually don't know how many fives there are in this new system, this proposed system, because you might've drawn, you know, three fives or no fives or who knows what. So it makes calculation at the end of the round a lot more difficult. And if it's more difficult, then you have to like actually try to play the game a little more. Another thing it did is that since you start with Like when we have the cards in our hands, there's still 25 cards left to draw. Whereas in the normal game, when you don't do any of this crazy stuff, I draw five, you draw five, and then there's only 15 cards left. So you could get to the end of the round more easily in the original game. And I was trying to make it so that it takes more turns to get to the end of the round. So you had more time to actually fight each other. (laughs) Right. 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 So that's two reasons that we could combat this stuff about how it's all about the end of the round. Like, it takes longer to get there, and when you do, it's less certain. So does that make sense to you guys, what I was trying to do oh, yeah. there? Yeah, of course. You know, that's one of the big things you want to avoid when you make these competitive games is solvability, you know? Because as a game gets, you know, solved, kind of the longevity suffers. It just becomes really uninteresting to play. And even outside of the solvability, it's just a disappointing thing when you get really into a game and then you realize you have to play it entirely differently when you actually get to the highest level. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, like, I imagine if I had my friends, we were playing it, and then someone was like, man, hey, I want to get really good at Flash Duel. What should I do? And I have to be like, well, first you need to get, like, a scientific here's calculator. Your TI- yeah, here's your TI-83. Yeah. Good luck. And then you have to know all this probability math and stuff, and then you can compete. <laughs> Yeah. So about the solvability, when we say that word, we often mean like the entire game. Like if a game is solved, it's like a script of you should always follow this cookbook of steps and each step along the way. Like if I do X, then there's a bunch of things you could do. But for everything you could do, I have a script of how to respond. That would be completely solved. What Flash Tools case was, it actually wasn't that. We weren't running into the problem of like, okay, the game is starting first turn. You should always do X and second turn. You should always do Y. Okay. We weren't running into that, 
But what we're running into is the solvability stuff at the mm -hmm. end game. Like the end games become so constrained and so solved that you get these problems. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting that it was entirely an end game problem. Yeah, yeah. So we tested this proposed version and the good news is it pretty much did what I thought. There's another logistics thing I should point out. So you normally you play three out of five rounds of Flash Tool. At the end of round one, all the cards you played with, you had the 25 cards you drew, you had the five cards in your hand, five cards in my hand. You take all of those cards, you shuffle all of them, and then put 10 of them on the bottom of the side deck. Then we each draw our hands off the top of the side deck for round two. So I don't know if you follow that. What I'm basically saying is that we're changing the composition of the deck like every yeah. round, but we're keeping the same number of total cards each right. round. It's kind of clever because you don't have to deal with unsorting or resorting all these cards every mm -hmm. time. Like you have two separate decks, which are supposed to have the correct composition when you start with, but you don't actually have to worry about that each mm -hmm. round. So that was all cool. And then some people pointed out what they didn't like, that once you've played the three to five rounds, you're done with the game and you want to play a new game, then you have to actually go through all 50 of those cards and make sure the right composition of cards is in deck one and in deck mm -hmm. two. And they found that annoying. And I was like, yeah, it's annoying, but it's <laughs> once a game. Like, how bad yeah. is that? Right. But people brought it up again and again. And then someone suggested, you know, it would just be simpler if you had 40 cards and you took a random five cards and got rid of them at the beginning of each round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you drew your hand from the rest. So at round two, you gather up all of the cards, all 40 of them, and then get rid of a different five. Mm -hmm. And so the, each round, the procedure is like super fast. And then when you're done with a, a game, you want to start a new game, it's the same procedure. There's always 40 cards. You always get rid mm -hmm. of five. And I thought, oh, that's kind of clever. I, I guess that works just as well. Right. <laughs> so we tried that a bunch and people really liked it. <laughs> Turns out it works so, fine. <laughs> Yeah, just, you know, some some sometimes things mm. just work out. So I'm really grateful to my playtesters for coming up with yeah. that one. The fact that it's a little more random, I guess you could really get into like heavy math stuff at the end for probability stuff. But it's kind of like well, there's no guarantees anymore, right? Is the big thing. There's a more guaranteed move that's just going to work. Yeah. So there's nothing guaranteed, and so you actually have to play your bluffs mm -hmm. and. I don't know, play the real yeah, game. Yeah. Right. right. You'll, you have to play like what regular people play it. Like when I play it with my friends and we don't worry about the last few cards. Okay. So here's another thing that happened. Then some play testers were playing it and they liked it and they brought up this other concern. They said, okay, the good news is that it's less about this completely solved end game stuff because of the two things we've done already. It takes longer to get there and it's not guaranteed because you don't know exactly the number of cards. So they're like, that's a successful fix, but it still sort of happens. Like there still is kind of a lot of thinking surrounding the ending the round just right. Mm. Why is that? Like, why shouldn't there be more even more emphasis on actually fighting each other? <laughs> Right? Yeah, and ending ending the fight within the round rather than kind of playing for the timeout. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, okay, but what are you going to do? And someone suggested, well, what about removing the last hits mechanic entirely? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it actually contributing? 
And I thought, oh, that's very radical. So let's think that through. <laughs> the way it worked is that uh, when you reach the end of the round, there's two sets of tie breaks. Now, the second tie break is just whoever advanced farthest. But I thought that that just kind of wasn't enough. And there should be a, a tie break before that that let you get in a last hit. I've kind of described before, if you're three away and you have a three, then you get to hit even at timeout. Or if I had two threes and you had three threes, then yours would win because you had more threes. But this, someone was suggesting that maybe this actually has the opposite effect that we wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Like having two timeout conditions is supposed to be like, so it's not so dissatisfying or something that it all comes down to who, who advanced farthest or that there isn't a lame duck situation going on. Like if you are very far away from the middle because your back is to the wall, you kind of know you're going to lose. But this last hits thing was a way to get out of that. So that's why it's there. But someone was floating the idea of like, maybe all it's really doing is it creating another win condition of last hits warps the game to be all about that win condition mm -hmm. rather than what the game kind of wishes it was about. And I thought about that and I was like, that actually sounds right. So what if we just remove last hits? And then people said, oh, well, you need to rebalance everything. Everyone always says you need to rebalance everything whenever we want to change anything. And they're off in the right. But in this case, I was like, really, <laughs> what changes? I mean, it's like there's some characters whose moves were all about, like whose abilities were kind of all about abusing the timeout situation. Mm -hmm. But those moves are pretty good anyway. It's just mm -hmm. like it's like if you couldn't if you couldn't use them at the end, you would just use them yeah, normally. It, it's like <laughs> it's kind of like wall dive with Vega. Wall dive is already good. Doesn't really need a knockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a move that lets you set up just right at the end is good yeah yeah <laughs> so. it's already good so you don't need this end game stuff for it to still be good right okay so we started testing that and it was kind of surprising how quickly it just works totally mm -hmm. fine so it's another thing that <laughs> just it just worked <laughs> yeah i mean the wrinkle there was argagarg who his abilities pacifism says that if you reach timeout before he had to survive the last hits mm -hmm. portion and then if he did, it says he just wins. You don't check who advanced farthest, he mm -hmm. just wins. And Argagarg is inherently nerfed by this new system because there's more time to get to the end of the round. Like it takes more cards to get mm -hmm. to the end. So he's sad about that. But then he's actually really happy that he doesn't have to care about the last hits yeah, at all. Yeah. Like before he could get to the timeout, but there's all these ways he could get to it where he still loses. Mm -hmm. Right. So it kind of like <laughs> kind of balances out, yeah, no. right? <laughs> well... Uh, it was a little scary. I figured the nerf was more important than the buff, but after players tested it a bunch, they said, no, that's <laughs> wrong. And actually the, the buff is more, so he was too good. Oh, okay. So we adjusted some right. other things and then it was okay. fine, but <laughs> yeah. whatever. I mean, that was just an interesting wrinkle. Last hits is something that I don't think I really explained to people when I first played with them. It's one of those rules I just left out and I'm like, I don't want to explain it because most of the times we would, again, because we're normal people and we, we never play this at a high level. We, we always hit each other and we always end the game before we ran out of cards. So I remember my experience at uh, the first Fantasy Strike Expo that I just signed up for Flash Duel at the last minute because they wanted like an even number of players. And in the first round, it went to last hits and I didn't even know what the rule was. <laughs> and it was like, so I have two twos. And I was like, yeah, so what does that mean? And he's like, how many do you have? I was like, one. And he's like, oh, I win. I'm like, why do you win? I should win. <laughs> I went on to beat that opponent. 
Can you think of any more examples maybe from other games where adding another like win condition kind of backfired or did the wrong thing? Mm. I feel like I've seen that before. I mean, I, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you, I didn't, I, I promise I didn't ask this question t- in order to give this mm-hmm. answer, <laughs> but, but I guess chess is one answer because in chess, it has a very heavy, slippery slope. So if you start to get behind in pieces, you are less able to come back. And 2000 years ago or whatever, when chess was still being developed, I'm sure that was a problem. It was kind of boring that if you got a little bit behind, people would concede. And so the community, the world community that has kind of created the rules of chess probably realized, hey, we should do something about that. Let's give you a way to come back. Uh, we'll give you a stalemate. So if if you get in a situation where you your king is not in check, it's not in danger, but any move you make would put you in check, then that's a stalemate and it counts as a draw game. So if you start to lose your pieces and get more and more behind, you can play for this alternate, well, not win condition, but draw mm-hmm. condition, alternate game end condition. And I, that makes sense. But the problem is kind of the same one here is that when you add another end game condition, People can play for it. They can play specifically for it. And as players get better and better and better at chess, you would expect they'd be better and better at playing for draws. And it turns out that's the case. And so grandmasters draw over 60% of the time now. <laughs> right. And that's a problem. So like in chess two, I removed the stalemate thing and replaced it with a midline invasion rule, which doesn't have, I mean, it eliminates draws rather than creates more mm-hmm. of them. So that's one case where another end game condition kind of backfired. <laughs> right. I thought you guys might know another or something. I can't think of anything off the top kinda, of my head. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> Maybe if I really thought about it, I could get back to you in an hour. But <laughs> <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from patrons like you at patreon.com slash Serlin. You can become a patron and support the development of more finely tuned Serlin games as well as more content on this podcast. And if you do, you get access to a sneak peek at art that's in development and playtest materials for upcoming games. You also get access to a special second podcast where you can hear behind the scenes of how we actually solve design problems. That's patreon.com slash Serlin. Okay, well, I had one more story about Flash Tool, and that is something that Photix will probably relate to. So in Yomi, if we made some kind of chart of the development time, there's one thing that took so much longer than everything else that no one would ever guess. Like they would just read over it and go like, whatever, it's the same as anything else. And we go, no, this took weeks. (laughs) This one stupid thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was that in Yomi? Well, there was there was a couple. I mean, actually, there was two or three. Yeah, but the, mo- the most, the most, the legendary one would be assists in the two versus two mode. I wasn't even going there, but oh, yes, that that, well, right. that was the that was the mother load of right. Of that's this, like yeah. like ninety five percent of the game of the two v two mode developed in like an hour <laughs> and never had any problem. And then thousands, oh, thousands how about of assists. Hours. Right. And then it's, I I was threatening to have a, a, what was it? Assists weekly magazine or something (laughs) updated everyone and the constantly changing world of assist rules. (laughs) Okay. Then for the one V one mode, there was Jaina's unstable power. Yeah. That one was brutal. Or just the whole character of Jaina really was just insane, but. Sure. But unstable power in particular. And then the whole debacle of Lum, Margagarg. Right. Right. Yeah, there was one particular matchup where you try to change that matchup but not ruin everything else. Right. 
Also, you could you could say the normal draw rule. Actually, you know that was very controversial for a long time too. That's not really, not really like these other examples though. Sure, sure. That's more like my first thing was where it was a kind of a radical idea, and then it just kind of worked. Sure. <laughs> it just required changing a couple things here and there. But these other things are like small details that took a long time. Okay, so in Flash Duel, there was a small detail that took a long time. And I would not have guessed what it was. Like, I thought we were going to be in for trouble with Gwen because she has Shadow Plague. It lets her draw an extra card every turn, but she automatically loses if the round ends. And we're messing with like how long it takes to get to the end. And that's really changing her power level. Also, if she loses a round by timeout, then she loses two rounds. I remove that so she doesn't have that penalty anymore. So basically, there's this wildly different power level things going on with Gwen. And I figured it would be really hard to fix that to be, you know, what we needed. But it kind of wasn't that hard. Like we made a version that was too good and then people pointed that out. We nerfed it and it was still too good. And then someone suggested a different thing and that was fine. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like three steps. But this thing that took super long was Zane. (laughs) That's Photix's favorite character. So, So the problem with Zane, as you probably well know, is that he has this move called Shoulder Ram. And a lot of the text of the card explains what to do when you knock into the person that you're ramming and push them. So you read that and you go, okay, shoulder ram. And then like you can hit him and push him. So that's what it's for. Oh no, you never use it that way. <laughs> it, there's no ramming or pushing. Ever. <laughs> right. Right. That's actually yeah. his flavor text. Right. Yeah. the correct way to use the move the gameplay wise playing to win is to use it as a dash and then to play your turn normally afterwards Mm -hmm. right oh yes absolutely (laughs) so that's kind of dumb and i thought well he should be about pushing Mm -hmm. and also he's got this landmine is another thing and it really seems like if he's got a push and a landmine the whole point of that was to push people into the landmine but you never do that (laughs) right So why, you know, why don't you? And then in looking at the landmine, it's like the la- if you hit them with the landmine, it says that they skip their turn. So they're kind of helpless and you try to kill them. But why doesn't it just kill them outright? I mean, it's a landmine. <laughs> yeah. Like, wouldn't it just make more sense if it just killed mm-hmm. them and just be simpler? Okay. So what if you push them onto the landmine, then it kills them. How about this crazy idea? If you push them past it, it also kills them. That opens up a whole new world right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Not sure. just land on it, but if yeah. you push them across yeah, yeah, yeah. it, then right. the idea is that let's make shoulder ram not be a free move that turn. It used to be like you shoulder ram and then you take your turn. The new idea was like, it's what you do on your turn is that you do the shoulder ram. So that's way worse. Mm-hmm. You can push people across this mine and kill them. So how about that? Right. So yeah, it sounds reasonable and like, I mean, yeah, you got to tune it. Like how far does it push or something? But oh my goodness, this thing was like unfixable for a, a long time. <laughs> can't, I mean, I don't know if you can even, you probably can't even guess like what the problem no, is. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm a lowly regular Flash Duel player. Okay, so check this out. In 1v1, it's tuned such that if you push them over the mine and, you, and it would kill them, it's actually fine. But in 2v2, you can have your partners push them over the mine 
in such a way that it's just crazy. Mm. Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it's just totally broken. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, it shouldn't actually kill them. Like, they should really skip their turn like it used to be when they got hit by the mine. Because then, like, beginning of the round, my team is far away from your team. And I use some kind of unfair combo to push you across the mine from a great distance. I can actually put the mine like really far from me and then have my partner, if they have the right abilities, like push you even when we're really far, then there's nothing you can do about it. So if that results in you skipping your turn, you actually don't die because we're so far away that we can't finish you off. See Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. But if it said to kill you, then you lose and you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. If you revert it back to skip your turn, then at least we have to set it up. Like I've got to be close enough to you that even if I can trigger kind of unfairly you hitting that mine, I still need to follow it up with something fair, something legit, like really hitting you. Okay. So then people tried to come up with the wording to make it work. And we're like, all right, I can't really hit you. It's got to be the skip turn thing. And then someone brought up the dragon mode. So there's a dragon raid mode where it's two, three, or four players, mortals versus the super powerful dragon. So four players versus the dragon. And that was causing like, some of the, a bunch of ways this was worded was causing the dragon to get hit by like all four people. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And so people try to come up with a wording that like threads the needle between these three different modes of like, it's got to work right in one V one, but then in two V two, it's got to do some other thing. And then in the dragon, it has to like not take off multiple hit points. It sounds (laughs) like you can't, you can't stun him and then have everybody else take their turn and like everybody gets to hit him uh, or something. Uh, super tricky wording. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I did to solve this. I let the problem be known to the playtesters, and I figured that you just needed some clever enough way to say what happens when they get hit by the mine that it happens to handle all those cases. <laughs> like, It's something about like, what do you really do? Do you get hit? Do you skip a turn? Do you skip a turn and not draw a card or yes, draw cards? I don't know. I mean, there's conditionals you can put on there. Like you could add conditionals or just extra words that might do nothing in one mode, but they do the right thing in the other mode. And so people tried that. And and then Thilo, the lead programmer of Yomi and all my games, he posted his his solution to this. And it was like kind of wordy and convoluted, but but that's fine if it works. Like, could we have nothing that works? We have no shippable anything. <laughs> right. And so he says this kind of clunky thing. And I was really grateful for that. I was like, that's, that's great. We have the smartest minds working on this. And then someone posted, actually, that is broken in 2v2 for this reason <laughs> or against the dragon for this reason. For some, I was like, oh my God, even he can't figure this out. And then it went on and on for like days where people were trying to, fix like little details of this and no one could no one could figure it out and so that was actually my clue okay i solved this one (laughs) (laughs) all right but i used as my clue the fact that nobody could figure out how to word that thing Mm. okay like if i hadn't gotten help from everyone i think i would have just forever been on the path of like let's find clever enough wording but they showed me that there's just no right. end to it <laughs> it's, it's not like, about clever wording it's like <laughs> yeah it's not about clever wording it needs lateral mm. thinking it needs some kind of something to just smash this whole problem open and have there not be a problem in the first place and i was so frustrated i, I started writing like fake abilities like okay obviously it's not going to be this 
but maybe it would spark an idea. And so one of the fake abilities was in one V one, it just hits them (laughs) (laughs) because, because we have, we now have this like two sentence long phrase Mm -hmm. that if you parse it all, it basically means you hit them. (laughs) Right. Right. But it makes it fair in other modes. It's like, you can't even tell that it's hitting them, you know? (laughs) So it really should say in one V one, it just hits them. Okay. And then it should say, if the target is the dragon, it also just hits them. (laughs) The dragon wants to be hit because if he's hit, it's over. He doesn't want a bunch of extra conditionals about him skipping turns and discarding Mm -hmm. cards and like being at a disadvantage against three other people that have to take their turn. He just wants to get hit once. Not like four times. (laughs) Yeah. So now two of these modes really wanted to say get mm-hmm. hit. It's the 2v2 mode that's actually the entire problem. Okay. So I really wish it said in 1v1 or against the dragon, hit them. Otherwise, do a complicated thing that's fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I was just going over that in my head, like over and over. How can I say that? What's a tricky way that I can say in 1v1 or against the dragon, do a certain thing. Otherwise, do a different mm-hmm. thing. I was like, what do these modes have in common? Is there something I, I don't want to say, I don't want to literally say against the dragon or in 1v1. <laughs> right, you right. Know? So is there a phrase that encapsulates both of those? And then I just started reading about other games, not even because of this, like just, I don't know, just like reading about random games. <laughs> this is for fun. And then I saw something about like a healing pack, a healing ability that would revive dead characters in some game. And I was like, oh, revive your teammate. Isn't that the solution right there? I'll read you the final text. Put a token on an unoccupied light space. This is what landmine does. If any players land on it or are pushed past it, they get hit. Mm -hmm. And then here's the magic sentence. Their teammate can revive them by landing on that space. Mm -hmm. Their teammate, you see. In 2v2, you have a teammate. Mm-hmm. In 1v1, you don't. In the dragon mode, the dragon doesn't have a teammate. Right. The other people do have teammates, but this is about the dragon getting yeah. hit. And, he and the doesn't. dragon doesn't have a landmine thing. So their teammate can revive them by landing on that space. Just does nothing in some mm-hmm. modes. But it solves it in one <laughs> sentence, in one very simple yeah. sentence. So that's like weeks to figure out how should Zane work. <laughs> but yeah, and then but people will look at that and be like, well, of course, of course that, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, it's simple, yeah, it took you know, like a day. <laughs> so that's probably the first draft, yeah, you know. You know? <laughs> yeah, so that is fair in 2v2. You can use unfair stuff to push them into this mine, but if you're going to do that from really far away, it's just going to get nullified anyway by their teammate reviving them. So you've you got to really set it mm. up, which is good. Yeah, it actually turns out to have great gameplay. Awesome. <laughs> now shoulder ram, shoulder rams. <laughs> That's pretty much all I had to say about Flash Duel. So just to recap, it's like we rebalanced some stuff. We got rid of last hits, which is really great for explaining it. I love not having to explain how that works anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> He just say, hey, the round ends. If you advance farther, you like, win. If, if the round is is going to end and it looks like you're kind of far back, you should like make a move. You should like start playing gutsy. Yeah, it's like in Pandante, there are a lot of rules we want to do. And now we don't have to. Yeah, it's kind of the common mm-hmm. theme. Oh, yeah. One more thing that improved the dynamics is the getting rid of five, playing with a bigger deck, but then getting rid of five random cards at the mm-hmm. beginning. So in both Pandante and Flash Tool, I think we fixed up the dynamics. In both cases, it's streamlined and simpler to explain. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even like trying to do that on Flash Tool. It just 
turns out that happens when we worked on it a little bit more. It's also great because like a lot of these changes are when I say simple, I don't mean developmentally simple because we just went through that. But in terms of like if you have an older version, it's pretty simple to just kind of take the new rules and just apply them, just kind of play them that way if you already have the copy. Yeah. Yes, that's right. If you already have Flash Tool, you can just read the new rule book for free online. And there's also a list of all the ability changes free. So you don't actually have to buy Mm -hmm. anything. But if you do, one simple component change is because of the way this 40 card deck thing works, the portable version that comes inside the box actually now works for all the modes except the dragon mode. Like you can play the 2v2 mode in it and the tuck box is big enough to hold Mm. that. But yeah. the old one wasn't like that. So it's kind of a, a another That's, yeah, plus. Yeah, a- and I've, I've got one more thing that is super great if you do buy the new version. I, I don't think you even know about this. I'm just about to announce that we will replace the pawns with character stand-ups. So wow. you'll get to actually see what, what your <laughs> character looks like. That is exciting. So you'll get 21 of these character huh, stand-ups. That's crazy. Awesome. You could have a little grave figure, not figure, stand up, walking around, mm-hmm. and you know, and stuff like that. That's great. I like it. Oh, was grave your guy? Actually, no. I I mostly use DeGray, I think, or something. Yeah, DeGray. He's got yeah. pile bunker. So is this gonna be like super turbo, where I could pick Ozane and still scam <laughs> people? Or? Well, there could be more than one mm-hmm. format, you know. Right. Yeah. There's like the modern format where it's just all the latest stuff. Or those are house. Other, the, those are house rules. The other format the vintage, lets you play Ozane. Flash <laughs> yeah, vintage Flash. Well, you could be Ozane in that one. And then we'll have <laughs> Ultra Flash Duel Four, and then it'll have like all the other expansion and old version of the characters, and it'll be super confusing, and it'll be great. It'll work out. Is, it, is, <laughs> is there some disadvantage to to playing? Like the old characters, like in well, in Super the old Turbo, characters could get last hit with the old last hit rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They can get last hit, yeah, but they can't. Yeah. They can't do it back. Right, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh man, that's funny. Okay, well, that's it. I just wanted to brief you guys since you were so into Pandante. Now you know what happened on the Flash Tool side. Awesome. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go play some Flash Tool online now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, do it. It's good stuff. We've implemented a way to play with these new rules, but the de- you know the deck size is different, right. so people can play that online too. Um, I'm even interested in just getting the game again because the stand-ups, that's like cool. Yeah, it's a big fun factor. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, yeah, guys. definitely. All right, thanks for having me. Okay, Bye. take care. And now for our special guest, Garcia1000. Thanks for having me on as a special guest, Seven. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming. So what yeah. is the topic for today? Okay, so today's topic is how to prepare for tournaments. Oh, okay. How to prepare for... So like practicing the game or is that the kind of thing? Well, one at? thing would be practicing the games. Like say you're playing a Guilty Gear Exard tournament. So you practice yeah. the game a lot. But apart from... Practicing the game, there's also a lot of other stuff you, you should do as well. And maybe we don't know all of them. So I was thinking we should share our views on this. 
<laughs> okay, well, practice the game is quite a big topic in itself, but you should get a good night's sleep, I think. You should not be hungry or thirsty when you're playing. Yes, that's yeah. true. I think as and it's interesting because although this seems like common sense, but most uh, people don't bother doing it. So you can get a huge edge just by doing this yourself. Oh, sure. Actually, tournaments are notorious for having really bad access to food. So it's common to be hungry. It's also pretty common that people aren't at their stations for their match because they had to go to the bathroom or something. So you should take care of that. Yeah, yeah, you, you um, just got to do these basic things so that when it comes time to play, you're you're not worried about anything else. Yeah, and also uh, you should have a, a regular exercise schedule so that you are fit enough to handle tournaments because tournaments can go on for a long time. And also you should floss regularly because it's very important to maintain the health of your teeth, especially when you become, when you get older, then it's easy for your tooth decay to start from the cracks uh, between your teeth. So especially flossing uh, once a day, I think that's very important for tournament preparation. So if you were preparing for Counter-Strike, for example, there's a big Counter-Strike yeah. tournament coming, you should make sure that you floss enough. Is yes. that right? So exercise, <laughs> practice, uh, sleep well, make sure you're not hungry or thirsty, and make sure your teeth are clean and that you floss before the tournament. Those are the, <laughs> the most important things, I'd say. I don't know. If, you, if you're including flossing, I feel like we're getting pretty far from like the main things now. Like, what, I mean, if that's in there, shouldn't like live a good life? be in there like be well, uh, generally I happy guess, or, or i or guess no? if you had to jettison one thing from a, a tournament recommendation i guess we delete flossing yeah i agree there but all, all the other things definitely you you should keep doing them <laughs> you should keep doing them yeah uh what do, what do you I, think about drugs to enhance your performance oh uh drugs uh no drugs may enhance your performance but in the long run, if you take them every time you perform, then that's either dangerous or expensive, depending on the <laughs> drug you're using. So, yeah, um, well, there's quite a big difference between legal and illegal drugs, for example. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So maybe you take like uh, caffeine pills or something. But what if you're not high on caffeine? Then can you really play as well as, as you normally play? And if you're practicing without caffeine, then how does that work? Do you really transfer all your caffeine? Uh, uncaffeinated practice to your to your performance so actually i can speak to, to that oh yeah i can so i used to play chip and potemkin in guilty gear and they're the most opposite yep. characters and if you play potemkin what you do mostly is just kind of stand around and get beat on while you wait for your chance to do your big move i mean yeah you got to try to get in just like zangief tries to get close but the point is you're it's not as frantic as some other characters and then chip is the complete opposite where if you're playing him well you're doing like a million moves per second and you're just constantly pressing buttons and uh in order to play chip i just felt i had to be as hyped up and wired as possible you can't be like a boring depressed chip or a tired chip like it just doesn't work so yeah i would really try to time having coffee at tournaments <laughs> just before my matches with chip and it was hard i couldn't always do it and to answer your point of how does that correlate with your uncaffeinated practice it for does. me it's well i i know what you're getting at that makes sense but what i'm saying is that i just practice whenever like not like i need coffee to practice but then at a tournament it's it can just be kind of draining you know yeah, like yeah. maybe you were up late and the food thing could be a problem or just 
I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why you could be tired at a tournament. So it's more like the caffeine gets me up to normal or a little bit above. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> as, as opposed and, and, to and, super and, wired, you know. Yeah. And, you know, probably another reason that caffeine helps you is that you've had tournament experience. So, you know, when you're playing during the tournament, how much you should really be trying hard to play well because it's not just of game tournaments but other types of tournaments or competitions or even examinations one surprising thing with like this is okay this is a this is a weird trick that a doctor taught me is that <laughs> yeah. uh, you shouldn't actually try that hard during the whatever you're doing just stay at your normal level and let it come to you because if you try too hard you just block yourself from remembering what you're doing and from achieving a flow state so that's another tournament advice that i think is would be helpful this sounds like a chat tech like a, <laughs> in some ways not trying hard is the way to achieve the most right but uh <laughs> that's also what pro tennis players do you know they they get in the zone they yeah. don't really try that hard. They just see the ball and they hit it. So that's how they let all of their practice, all of their experience come to them. Yeah, that's being in the flow state, as it's called, being in the zone. So, yeah, it, may, it makes sense. If you if you try too hard, you might knock yourself out of that zone. Part of being in the zone, I mean, that's like it's like a weird phrase or something, but it has a, an actual meaning in psychology. It means yeah. this, this certain flow state that has certain properties, like not having a normal perception of time anymore. Like if you're working hard on a project, like hours can go by and you don't really realize that you were working for that long. But another thing is that it's letting go of your ego. Like if you're climbing yes. a mountain or something, you don't really think I am climbing this mountain right now. And what do I look like for, if someone saw me? Like, no, you're just exerting yourself. Right. All, right. all of your processing power is on the activity, not on you and who you are as a person. So if you try too hard, you might accidentally uh, use up some processing power and remember that you're a person and remember that you're trying hard. And why isn't it working when I'm trying hard, you know? Right. And then it's easy to choke if you do that because you're not thinking, oh, I'll just perform the best that I can. And then that will get me the best result, which is the desirable state. What you would be doing is saying, oh, uh, if I just hit him two more times, I'll win the match. And then I'll be into the semifinals, which I've never been in before. And that would be great. And I'm so excited about that. And then you just don't manage to hit him twice. And then you're crushed. And then you lose the next three games as well. So uh, that's very common, actually. The fighting game player Jason Cole talked about that a lot, and he, he calls that clutch. And the way he puts it is that some players just have clutch. Like when it really comes down to that high pressure moment, they seem to be able to perform well consistently. And some players don't. And I don't know if him saying that like screwed with me or something, <laughs> but maybe it did. So if I would rate myself, I would say uh, maybe average as tournament players go on that metric. Like when it really came down to the pressure moment, uh, sometimes I mess up and sometimes I don't. Like, you know, maybe okay. But there is one thing that I screwed up so badly and it was versus Jason Cole. <laughs> you know, wow. so did he, did he screw with me by mentioning this? But there was some uh, CVS2 tournament went back when that game was new and it came down to Cammy versus Cammy as our last characters, like almost the last, like the last hit. Like someone gets a hit and they win and it's like really intense. It's this high pressure situation. And then I lost 
and I, I lost oh. to Jason Cole. And then I thought, well, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't have a clutch. I mean, that's just like one data point. It's yeah. it's frustrating, but whatever. And then, the, see, we had these weekly tournaments. So the next week, it also came down to me versus Jason Cole, Cammy versus Cammy at the last hit. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I screwed up last time, but this time I'm going to get it. And he won again. And then it <laughs> happened a third time, and he won again. I was like, damn it, I don't have clutch. What is going on? <laughs> I mean, I think I was thinking too hard about it. Like, I, like you said, I was so aware of clutch. I was yeah pulled out of the zone, you know, second guessing. Yeah, especially since you said you were thinking, oh, I'll win this time, right? That's already <laughs> an indication that you're caring about that you lost the clutch last time and you probably want the clutch. But what if you didn't know about it, this and you just said, oh, well, this is I'm playing Kami. So my goal is to hit the enemy without getting hit. And <laughs> you use all of your focus on the game. Yeah. I don't know if I actually thought, oh, I'll win this time. It's probably more like, I don't know if I can win this time. <laughs> but, but yeah, I get your <laughs> point is to focus on rather than the winning or losing, like the opponent is likely to do this certain move and I need to look for that move and I need to beat it with this other move. And that's what I'm going to be right, thinking right. about ahead of time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For me, I rarely have a problem with clutch because I've uh, developed the ability to not really care about the results of any tournament or competition that I play in. And so although this sounds bad, but it's actually good because it means that I perform well. And then only afterwards do I care about whether I, I won or lost. So, uh, so that's a sort of that's one weird trick that I learned from the doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's Chicago moms hate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So another yeah. player, Alex Valle, a top tournament player forever, he gives kind of a contradictory advice to what you're saying, I think. I've heard him say that he imagines or envisions himself winning the tournament ahead of time. And oh, that, right. Yes, yes. And yes. that he does that because he then just lives the life we imagined. But like the alternative, right. like it, it's the worst thing would be to imagine that you're going to lose because then you're just going to find a way to make that happen. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. Actually, um, uh, that's exactly agrees with how I do it. I know. Uh, oh, I, I thought that's like the opposite because yeah. he was thinking of winning, but you're not caring about winning or losing. Before an important exam or before an important tournament, of course, I'm thinking, you know, I'll win this because, I mean, how could I not win it, right? But then <laughs> during the tournament, when you're playing, you have it in the back of your mind that you're going to win, but you don't really care about whether you're going to win the match or the game. It's just, you know you're going to win, so who really cares, right? So just do your best. And then uh, afterwards, if whether you won or lost, then you can feel happy about how you did. I see. So uh, there's a difference between uh, what you're thinking during your tournament preparation and how you should be thinking during the tournament. I mean, during the tournament, he's probably not thinking, I'm going to win this. He's probably thinking, I should watch out for his jumps so I can react. <laughs> Yeah. Another thing I think during a competition is I'm very much thinking about how much respect I have for the opponent and it has to be <laughs> calibrated at the right level because like, let's say the opponent is terrible. And if I correctly identify that and I just don't have respect for them, there's a wide variety of techniques I can do against them that I couldn't do against other people that allow yes. me to beat them easily and quickly and uh, save energy. Yeah. And save energy for later. If I know they're terrible, just do whatever and beat them and get them out of the way. And if I guess wrong on that or not guess, but just have a wrong rating, like let's say they're terrible, but I'm really afraid of them. I'm like, oh, this is like the best player in the world or something. Then when they make a, a slight mistake, 
like I would hesitate and go, oh, was well, that a trap? Are they tricking me? Am I going to hit by a huge yeah. combo if I try to do something? No, they don't know what they're doing. Just do whatever and beat them. So right, uh, that's yeah, that's very important. Yeah, but then if it's, you mean, know if they yeah. are good, then like yeah, you really got to pull back on these tricky gambles or something, and you have to play much safer. So it really helps to know what quality of opponent you're up against. Right, that's a good way to save a lot of energy. Because in tournaments, actually, the most scarce resource is your focus and your energy levels. So it's like in an RPG, if you only had five healing potions, you wouldn't <laughs> want to use it when you're fighting a goblin or something. So, yeah. so you have to save your energies for when it really does matter. That, Even when you fight the, the dragon at the end, it's tough to use up all your healing potions like in the first five seconds or something. <laughs> you got to yeah, pace yeah, yourself yeah, if you there's going to be several games. Yes. So I think that's another skill that experienced tournament players have that amateurs don't. Amateurs just focus intensely right from the start when they probably shouldn't be doing so. I guess we should probably end after this, but another add-on to the how much respect I have for them, what level of respect. So another reason I found that that's important is that let's say I don't give them any respect. I think they're terrible, but I'm wrong. Another thing that counts against me there is I'm just not worried. I'm not anxious. I don't have any adrenaline. And I think having yeah. a little adrenaline, being a little bit on edge helps if they are pretty dangerous. And I, and I know that I have a little bit of a heightened, heightened senses going on that helps. And so I right. want that. I want to be a little bit scared. Now, some player, I don't have this problem, but some players have the problem that that's way too high. Like if I have to play Daigo as the best player in the world, I actually get bonus points probably like i mean I, I did play him and i did terribly once but i played him other times and did all right and i get a little bit of adrenaline because oh he's so good but there's some players who have the problem that they're just terrified and you get tunnel vision you know yeah like you're yeah, just over amped yeah, yeah. so you gotta be careful of that it depends on your personality whether you see it as a sort of a challenge that you want to fight or as mm -hmm. a sort of like terrible overpowering force that you have to flee from so, uh, right. so uh, yeah. yeah you just crumble like they they just yeah. like walk forward at the beginning of the round and you're like oh my god what do, i don't know what to do against that <laughs> if you have a good good opponent you should respect them but you shouldn't be in fear of them because you know they're just humans and they also make mistakes and so just do your best. And then on the other hand, they might be scared of you because you know, if they lose to some no-name amateur guy, then like that'll be very embarrassing for them. That's a lot of pressure on them that you don't have. That's right. I called that the fear aura in my book, Playing to Win, which you can read at serlin.net slash PTW. Great book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note, I will say goodbye to our special guest. Thanks for guest, having me as a special Garcia guest. 1000. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> okay, Take care.